Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you. And I just want to know, let you know that right out of the gate, we're going to ask you to participate, okay? So hopefully you're kind of stretched out because here's what we're going to do is we're going to have a real quick Christmas survey. And the way that you're going to participate is you're going to vote. And the way you're going to vote is by standing up. Oh, I know, the joy from the front row of young people. Um, so say the word standing up out loud with me. Say it with me. I just want to make sure you know how you can vote here. It's not a, <clears throat> okay? So here we go. I'm going to give you a, a, two choices. You will make a choice by standing up. So question number one, the poll is, when it comes to Christmas gifts or presents, would you rather take a peek and know in advance, or would you rather be surprised? If you would rather know in advance, would you just stand right now and just say, that's me, I'll just own it right here, right now? A few of you, yeah. We don't, do we like these people? All right, you can be seated. How many of you say, no, let it be a surprise. It's Christmas for crying out loud. Yeah, there we go. We're uniting. Yeah, thank you. Be seated. All right, now here we go. When it comes to a Christmas tree, are you wanting real or artificial? Do you want to be one of those barefooted tree huggers like Ryan? Or do you want to be an artificial person that says, no, I want this clean, no pine needles whatsoever? How about it? Real Christmas tree. You people stand. Yeah. My wife is standing, and we have an artificial tree. That makes no sense. All right, you may be seated. How many of you say artificial tree? Yeah. You, you're not going to be vacuuming tomorrow, pine needles. There you go. Good job. Be seated. All right. Now, here's, this is an important one. Now, our, when it comes to a Christmas movie, is it Christmas Vacation, Clark Griswold, or is it Will Ferrell and Elf? I know it's a tough choice, but you've got to make a choice. How many of you say it's Christmas Vacation? Stand. Yes. These are usually our loud and proud people. Very good. Be seated. How many of you say, no, it's definitely Elf and Will Ferrell? We are, all right, very good. We are a divided crowd. Good. All right, so here we go. Unwrapping gifts. When you go to do this, I don't know if you do it today, tomorrow, or sometime later, it, when it comes to, are you going to rip it or are you going to save it? All right. How many of you are the rip it people? Just tear it up. Let's go. Yeah. Most of us, thank you. How many of you are, and we'll give you plenty of time to stand up, how many of you are just, you want to save it? Just save it for later. Yeah. Do we like these people? We like them. All right, you may be seated. All right. Now, I want to get real serious, though, because this is another question. I'm really not trying to divide everybody, but this is a question I think is important. It's maybe, this, maybe it's just seasonal, like just recognizing the, the season we're in as a, as a nation. Is Die Hard a real Christmas movie, yes or no? Let's just deal with it right here. How many of you say yes, absolutely? Okay, a few of you. All right, and how many of you say no, not a chance, move on? Yeah, all right, very good. Thank you for participating. You guys are awesome. You're, you're a fun group. Okay, well, either way, I'm glad that you're here this morning. And I do want to say, as Sean and Isaac said, we want to say welcome to you if this is your first time at LifePoint. Welcome to Christmas at LifePoint. We're really glad that you're here. Most people know what Christmas is about. We don't really have to talk too much and describe. Now, what is Christmas about again? But just in case, here is, I think, a great definition by, of all sources, Wikipedia. 
they describe, here's what Christmas is. Look at this. They say, Christmas is an annual festival commemorating the birth of Jesus Christ, observed primarily on December 25th as a religious and cultural celebration among billions of people around the world. I think they did pretty good. This is a great definition of what Christmas is. Did you know that more than 4 billion people around the world over the next day or two will celebrate Christmas? Half of the world's population will celebrate Christmas. Now here's the question as we kick off today. Why? Why after two millennia does the world still pause to celebrate the birth of a baby born in a humble manger? Why is it that that moment in history just continues to captivate our hearts and to shape our lives and the lives of billions of other people? people. Think about it. This is a busy weekend. It's even raining outside and on a holiday you're in church. Some of you may have had a little argument with your spouse on the way in. You don't know none of that but we're here. Some of you may have wrestled with the kids just to get here on time but you're here and on a rainy day on a holiday you are in church on Christmas Eve. Give yourselves a hand. That's an accomplishment. Way to go. But the question is still why? Why do we pause to celebrate the birth of this baby who was born to unremarkable parents in an unremarkable village 2,000 years ago? Well, today, we're going to do what you would hope we would do, and we're going to look at that original story. But we aren't going to just kind of make it up. We're going to look at eyewitness accounts, these firsthand witnesses, and we're going to look at three different witnesses Three different scenes at the story of the first Christmas. And as we do, once again, you will make a choice. And the choice is this. You will either choose to believe the firsthand witnesses and their account, or you will choose to discard it and you will believe something else. And wherever you are on the spectrum of skeptic or believer, I just want you to genuinely, I want you to know we're so glad that you're here. And you probably aren't alone. There are others who probably view it the same way that you do. And so as we go through this story today, I think it's a profound story because clearly it has shaped the world. And I would say I believe it has changed the world. And we're going to look at it with three scenes. So that's what we're going to walk through the story of Christmas quickly. Three different scenes as told by three different first-hand witnesses. And so with that said, the first scene we're going to look at is when Mary became pregnant. When Mary became pregnant, and the witness we're going to look at is a man named Matthew in the first century who was one of the closest friends of Jesus. He documented exactly what happened as he observed it. And we're going to see how he begins the greatest story ever told. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. It's as if once upon a time, This amazing thing happened. He said his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary plus Joseph didn't equal baby. Mary plus Holy Spirit equals baby. Now if you're new and you're looking at the story right out of the gate, you may have some 
red flags and think, now wait a minute, we have a virgin who became pregnant? That seems a little far-fetched. And if that sounds weird to you, think if you were Joseph how weird that would sound. I mean, can you imagine dating someone and you're engaged and all of a sudden she says, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant, but God's the father. You'd be like, now wait, what? That doesn't quite land right. I think it sounded odd to Joseph too. We know that because of the way he reacted in the next couple of verses. And I think maybe this short little TikTok video captures what Joseph may have felt when he heard that Mary was pregnant. Watch this. Here you are, baby. Fresh baked pie just for you. Where did you get this? I baked it from scratch. We don't have an oven. God help me. Joseph, please. You see how that sounds, Mary? <laughs> you see how that sounds, Mary? We know this must have been what Joseph was thinking because look what happens in the very next verse. In verse 19 it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This didn't sound right to him. This was difficult for him to understand. Now listen, if you think we fully as believers fully understand this, I think we're being dishonest to say that doesn't, it involves some mystery here, doesn't it? But it is a cornerstone to our faith. With theological term, this is the incarnation. This is when God, through Jesus, became man. When God, heaven, came to earth and we have this unique moment where heaven kissed earth and God and man joined through the first Christmas. God became man. God put on skin, as some would say. And this is the beautiful moment where something unique is happening. But guess what? Joseph had no, no clue what this was about. It didn't make any sense to him. And you would think if God was really doing something this extraordinary, he would have told Joseph about it, right? And that's exactly what happens next. Look at verse 20. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is thinking, well, why? Why is this happening? Why is this baby so special? Why is this happening to me? What is the purpose of this baby? And as we're here 2,000 years later, we've got to be wondering, now, what is it that's so special about God, Jesus, coming to earth? What is so special about the first Christmas? What is so special about the incarnation? And here is where the answer comes. It says, do not be afraid to take your... Uh, home, Mary as your wife, because what is conceived is her from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 21 it says, She will give birth to a son, and you're to call him, the, give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. There it is. That was such a profound moment. He will save his people from their sins. In fact, would you just say those last eight words with me? Because he will save his people from their sins. God, Emmanuel, God with us, was coming to the world, and God was going to do something in the world through the incarnation, and now God is saying, I am going to do something for the world through salvation. 
Now, I won't have you stand and raise your hand or anything like that, but I bet if we say, how many of you can own the fact that you're an imperfect person? You're at times a knucklehead. I'll even maybe own it and say, you know what? At times, I am just a sinner. I admit that I do some things that I'm not proud of and that I would be embarrassed if others knew about. I think all of us would be able to stand, maybe a little less confidently, but we would all be able to stand. And that's why this verse is so important. Jesus, the reason he came was to do something for you and your sin and for me and my sin. He would come to save us from what condemns us. And there it is. God became flesh and dwelt among us. There's hope. There's hope for you and whatever you're carrying. There's hope for you and whatever you've done. There's hope for you and whatever you're doing. There's hope because of this first Christmas, because of this Jesus who came to earth. You see, Jesus didn't come for good people. He came for sinful people. And your worst moment is God's best moment. God wasn't just doing something in the world. God was doing something for the world. So that's scene one. We see the pregnancy of Mary. Now let's move to scene two. Now we come to the manger scene when the baby is born. And now we have a new witness, and this is Luke, who also was very close to the family of Jesus. And look what Luke records in Luke chapter 2 as he records the greatest story ever told that first Christmas. He said, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Think about what he, because Caesar Augustus is requiring people to go back to their town of, of birth, so he's, he's sort of shoring up the tax base, he's requiring them to go back, and back then it would have been dangerous and, and expensive to travel. They would have traveled, Joseph and Mary, pregnant Mary, would have walked 40 hours from Nazareth to Bethlehem. If they walked eight hours a day, it would have taken them five days to make that trek. Think of it in perspective. That would be almost like walking to Waco, which is 44-hour walk from here. And I'm just going to tell you, I think if you're pregnant and you want to induce labor, this is a way to do it. If you just want to walk to Waco at game time, I think it works because look what happens in verse 2. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 6. And while they were there, so they've walked all the way to Bethlehem, the time came. It's delivery. Here we go. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son, a firstborn, a son. And watch this. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, Luke is the only author who records the the term manger in the Gospels. The word manger is a Latin word for chew or eat because it's a trough where cattle, donkeys, horses would eat. And our Savior, it's, it's... Royalty doesn't go in a trough. The Savior of the world doesn't belong in a trough. But we see the story of an extraordinary king. This is no ordinary royalty. I read just this weekend that back in 2007, Queen Elizabeth visited uh, the United States. And when the late queen visited here, 
Along with her came her entourage, which would have included people who fixed her hair, her physician, several attendants. 4,000 pounds of luggage. It included 40 pints of plasma, just in case. It included royal toilet seat covers. Who doesn't need that when they travel, right? But when royalty would travel, it would sometimes take for a brief visit to a foreign nation up to $20 million to make that trip happen. And we just read that the king of kings was placed in a trough. You see, this was no ordinary king. To access this king takes humility. And to walk with this king, we walk in humility. It's Paul who would describe the extraordinary humility of this king this way. He said, who being Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, born in a trough, by taking the very nature of a servant, and in this case we would even say below the life of a servant, being made, as it were, that first Christmas in human likeness. Even people who believed that Jesus would be the Messiah would one day come, thought he would come to a palace, not to a trough. Oh, Jesus was shocking in that way. He was introducing the upside-down kingdom, even in the way he was born. He came to do something in the world. He came to do something for the world. But so far we've seen God did something in the world He did something for the world, but it doesn't fully explain why that moment, 2,000 years later, still captures our heart. It still shapes our lives. Why? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to look at the full life of Jesus and go from his birth to the very end to his death. And that brings us to scene three, the final scene. We go to the Last Supper. It's there at the Last Supper where Jesus did something shocking just before his death, he rebranded the Passover. You say, well, what's that about, rebranding the Passover? Well, this is a big deal because the Passover had been a traditional festival for 1,500 years amongst the Jewish people. This is what the Passover was doing. The Passover was saying, because we want to remember our heritage and our ancestors who were freed from Egyptian slavery 15 years sooner. And so every year there was an annual tradition, kind of like we have an annual tradition of Christmas. There was an annual tradition for a select group of people, the Jewish people, to be remembering when they were freed from Egyptian slavery. Well, Jesus is about to die on the cross, and he does the unthinkable. And he rebrands it and says, I am about to change the world. Because when I die, I won't die for a select group of people. I will die for the entire world, for all time. And I won't just free them from a heritage. I will free them from the slavery of sin. That had, as it turns out, been pointing toward the cross all along. And now we are at that moment in history where Jesus says, this is what I want you to remember. I want you to remember what he was about to do on the cross. Paul summarized it beautifully. Another witness who knew Jesus, who knew the family of Jesus. And he says in Galatians 4, referring to that first Christmas, he said, but when the set time had fully come, meaning when God had the whole world exactly the way he wanted, 
God sent his son, born of a woman. God came to dwell among us, born under the law. I love that God wasn't above the law. God was recognizing that in Jesus, he would experience pain and loss like you experience, like I experience, but with purpose. The reason he was born under the law was to redeem those under the law, me and you, that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, we wouldn't be left in our sin. We wouldn't be left with our brokenness. We wouldn't be left hopeless. He would not only come and rescue us from our sin, do something for us, but we would have our identity changed from an enemy of God to being the son of God or to be the child of God. This was to change who we are and how we live. Jesus came to redeem us and enable us to become God's children. See, it turns out the angel was right when the angel appeared to Joseph that night and said, Jesus would come and save us from our sin. And this is the moment in history that changed everything. And ever since then, for the last 2,000 years, we can see through history as as this movement of following Jesus began to spread, and then it began to spread globally to the place that now billions of people will gather over today and tomorrow to point back to that moment where everything was changed. People will celebrate the birth of Jesus, and it's the most diverse body of people where billions of people are gathering in different nations, of different ethnicities, speaking different languages, having different traditions and different theological beliefs, but what we all come together to declare and what we are gathering here today to declare is this, that Jesus came to save us from our sin. And we have hope because of the incarnation. He not only did something in the world, he did something for our world and he changed our world and many of us are changed because of that first Christmas and what happened there in the end the most famous verse in all of scripture summarizes it so well for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that's why still Jesus captivates my heart. He captivates our heart and it's why we pause to celebrate the birth of a Savior born in a humble manger two millennia ago. Because God did something in the world. God did something for the world. And God did something that changed the world. And it can change your world again today. I don't know what you walked in thinking about today, thinking about later today, tomorrow, and all the cool things that may be on your calendar. But before we get there, can we just pause again? And can we be people who create a little bit of space in our own heart and mind to be captivated by Jesus again today? Can we join the billions around the world who are doing exactly that and lift our minds and hearts to him? Today, what I want to invite you to do, would you all stand with me? I want to ask you to close your eyes in just this private moment. As you stand, would you just close your eyes and allow your heart, Just I, I believe that when our ears will hear and our eyes will see Jesus, we will be captivated again. And in this moment, we want to just create some space 
just to pause this morning and would you in your mind gaze upon the one who changed the story who changed history and changed the world and maybe you're here today and you're carrying a weight of sin a weight of guilt and shame I just want to invite you to discover why Jesus came was to lift that weight off of you to come and save you from that guilt to save you from that shame it's who he is he is the friend of sinners he's your friend here today maybe you have just a chaotic um, anxious heart maybe you're weighed down with something that you're worried about and thinking about God went to an extreme to be with you and you are not alone today he is with you still And where you go from here, he will be with you still. He didn't just do something in the world then. He's doing something in the world now. He didn't just do something for people back then. He's doing this for you now. And he is coming to change us. And maybe we've walked away, we've gotten busy, and he's inviting us back. Would you have your heart captivated by him again this morning? And just this moment in this place as we gaze on him and we reflect on that moment that we continue to celebrate even today. We want to lift our heart. We want to lift our voices and sing together.